Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. And hey, you want to up-level your game in sales? You need to check out Sales Gravy University. We have nearly 300 courses, including courses, of course, that I have created as well. My newest and favorite is Selling with Confidence. So if that is something that you are trying to get better at, go check that out at salesgravy.university. I am so excited to get started on this episode because if you know me and you've listened to any of my episodes, like customer experience to me is so, and it goes hand in hand with sales. So especially people who don't think they're in sales, everybody's in sales and customer experience has to be there. So today I've got a special, really awesome guest on the, for the show. And she had me at Louis Vuitton and I'll tell you what I mean by that in a second. But Tatiana Ferreira is my guest today and she's a highly accomplished senior executive with over two decades of experience dedicated to driving transformative change through customer experience, multi-channel integration and operational excellence, including the work she's done with Neiman Marcus, Stuart Weitzman, Louis Vuitton, Starwood Hotels, and the Walt Disney Company, just to name a few. Of course, she had me at Louis. Her unique ability to simplify complexity into actionable strategies and translate blue sky thinking into practical application sets her apart, resulting in remarkable achievements. And of course, her multicultural background and fluency in multiple languages enhance her global approach and her commitment to diversity, sustainability, and work-life integration complement her dynamic profile. Tati, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Gina. So excited to be here to talk about one of my most favorite topics in the whole world. And you were saying, I was laughing here when you're saying everyone's in sales and everyone is in customer experience. Everyone is in the business of uh, promoting and producing experiences, whether they want it, whether they like it, whether they know it or not. Exactly. And this I start and you and I have some parallel backgrounds, right? Like in L&D. And when I got into training, I started in customer experience and before I moved into to sales and leadership. And it always comes down to what is the experience you're creating or not creating? Because if you create that bad experience, you're not going to be selling anymore. And we won't. And talk so much about brand and branding and it, interestingly enough, when we talk about experiences, this add-on is this separate thing that's happening and somehow you're creating, whereas it really isn't. It is your brand. It is how people feel and what they think when they think about you, when they hear your name, when they hear your brand's name. That's And you want that to be not only great, but you want it to represent what you're trying to sell, what, it, what the objective of you being in business in the first place is. Yeah. And let's dive into, okay, I'm going to dive here because I love, obviously, luxury brands. But I want to talk about them because I think that we can actually create these amazing customer experiences that make you feel like you're being treated like a luxury brand, right? Like it can be like the smallest things that can be happening. And I know that this is something that you talk about because something you had shared with me, it's about the behaviors that generate additional revenue and doesn't cost a lot or is maybe a small investment. And I had shared with you like the first time I bought a Louis Vuitton purse, right? Like I was so mesmerized over the glass of champagne that came 
with the purse. I was like, right? And if you've never, that's your first experience with it. It's such an experience. And I don't know if I told you this, but I was going through that and my credit card kind of declined the purchase. And it wasn't because I couldn't afford it. It's like the credit card's like, where are you? What are you purchasing this right now? (laughs) What are you doing? I was at the Louis Vuitton on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. And it literally like, for a moment, I'm like, do you not understand? I'm having a glass of champagne with my Louis right now. (laughs) I had to like, and you know, they were so great there because they're like, yeah, this happens all the time. This is normal, right? Because, right, the credit card was just protecting me. But Let's talk a little bit about how can we create these experiences that generate additional revenue and doesn't have to really cost a lot. Yeah, there's a, a, a I love that story. You had not told me the the, the the other detail and I'm happy they made you a few at ease because that's what it's all about, right? There's a misconception that luxury, especially when we're talking about luxury and luxury and service, that you're talking about expensive things. And that it will cost you a lot to offer that luxurious experience. And luxury is at, at the, at the very, at the essence of luxury is making someone feel like they belong there. When you put that together, what you mentioned earlier, that my belief in what I have been uh, uh, very successful in implementing throughout my career is this behavior of change in which where I make you feel like you belong. I make you feel like you're a part is the exclusivity, but not at utilize it as something that is excluding somebody. Is exclusivity as you make making you feel special. So it's a very different use of that power that we have as that salesperson, as that customer experience, whatever the, the, the title is of the person that's in front of you that's helping you, that person has the power to make you feel like you're the only person in the world. Like you're having that glass of champagne and you're getting that bag. They might have sold 20 bags that day. They might have sold 100 bags that day. They might have sold, but they, they may not remember you a week from now because they've seen so many people. But in that very moment, they got to make you feel special. And it's not, it does, and it doesn't cost much. Now, there is absolutely, and I'm a big proponent of small gestures. And when you're talking about whether it's champagne or it's a nice ice water, a nice, sparkling water that comes in a nice tray. And I create that experience for you as well. I can be in a variety of different ways where I'm adding a little bit. It can be chocolate truffles. It can be, I was speaking with a, a, a jewelry company a few weeks ago about that and how you could incorporate food and beverage and create that experience. I'm a big proponent of that and create that experience when the person is in front of you, that it makes them feel special. It makes it feel exclusive. Maybe it's the chocolates that are made just for them by a local place. Again, we're not talking big dollars here. We're just talking about something special. And the, but not to be mistaken by that these details, they complement the behavior, they complement the experience. They're not the experience. The experience is the one-on-one moment you have with me, whether it's through, and, and then when we say one-on-one moment, it, 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 I get this question a lot in terms of channels. Does it mean as one-on-one in person? Not necessarily. We're having this experience here right now and we're sitting in completely different places, right? So it's yeah. not, it, it's how am I taking that and, 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 and storing that moment and carrying you through that, whether I'm in front of you, whether I'm on the phone with you, whether I'm behind the keyboard. I love, it's about making you feel special and you said included right at the end of the day like this is what we all want to feel 
included. And to dial back to the Louis Vuitton, because I don't know if I told you all this, part of because this whole inclusion thing makes sense too. Part of the purchase being so special to me is because I had always wanted to be able to walk in and buy one because growing up, I couldn't do that. But I went to an all girls high school that was privileged, but I was the girl not privileged, right? So I was at the lower end of the spectrum. It was just more important to get me into a good school to catapult me. But I was surrounded by rich girls who all had Louis Vuitton purses at ages 14, 15, 16. And I always felt not like I was part of them because I couldn't do that. And so there was this thing in my psyche that one day I will do that on my own and it's not going to be bought for me. And one day I will do that. And so it's interesting to think about too, when we make these purchases, how important it is to us personally and the experience that you create and how that the experience that you create to make me feel included and special, how that just makes that experience so much bigger than the glass of champagne that cost maybe $2. That's incredible you say that because it, that made me think about two things that are very important when you're talking about experiences. It's one that the typically when you walk in and, and, and you walk into a, a luxury store or something like a, a Louis Vuitton or a brand like that, you I already have you. You have expectations. You have ideas of what this experience is going to look like. You have an anticipation of that moment. Likely, uh, you have, there's data out there that it's over 90% of all customers in luxury and otherwise in retail in general, they're looking at their item multiple times before their purchase for one. And the second thing, they're all looking at them online. They're all doing some research. So you have been dating that purse, yeah. if you will, for a while. Like we will have, uh, I, re- I remember in a couple of different places where I work, we'll have clients that they would joke that they're coming to visit their item, right? They were coming to see it, coming to, to, to see if this was the right, it was the right one for them. They were thinking about it. So you have that piece that's super important. But the, the, the other one is, it's also that it's, yes, you have a lot of expectations. You have a lot of anticipation. But you also there with me, you come with a generally positive, welcoming. Your attitude is one of show me, take me by the hand, walk me through this, let take me through this experience. So many times it's such a, a wasted opportunity because I'm not typically, I am not working with somebody who's a skeptic. Like it's usually a fan, it's usually a promoter, it's usually someone who really loves it. That opportunity is even bigger. And, and when we see that wasted, when I see that wasted in retail in general, it's so difficult because that that deception is very, it's something that's very hard to turn around later on, right? If it wasn't a great experience, if you, you didn't feel like you belong, if you felt like they didn't treat you well for X, Y, and Z reason, uh, it, it would have been completely different. One of the things that, that's very interesting that, I've, that I found but when I was doing some research around what, what makes people feel welcome? Why do we feel welcome? Were we, so is it when someone says something to you, when you have, when, what are some of the actions, the practical application? Cause that's, that's how my mind works as well. I'm always looking, okay, this is great. And these ideas are amazing, but what's the, what are the triggers? And they're somewhat different for, for different people. But one of the things that is common, it's a common denominator across people feeling welcome anywhere 
is if they feel that you're happy to see them, that you're excited that they walked into your store, that they, you are it, just like if you go visit a friend or you go to a family member's home anywhere. When you have that feeling that they're happy to see you, that they're excited that you're there, that will beat anything else that they can say, do, serve, yes. whatever it is. And when, when we're talking behaviors, there, there's nothing in that is not behavioral. It's the smile, is putting that phone down, is looking at you in the eyes. It's some of those very basic things that make you feel like, oh, it, I should be here. Is a compliment, is a genuine compliment that they're paying. I have a story. I went to a, a Dior store years ago and I walked in and I was wearing a Louis Vuitton. I was carrying a Louis Vuitton bag and the, the salesperson made a comment on my bag, knew the name of the bag and made a mention of the shade of the leather. That person is still my person. Wow. Wow. It's like you, you look at and you looked at me and you saw me and I and we speak the same language. You understand what I want. I'm going to work with you. Yeah, you hit it on the head as you were talking about that. It's we want to be seen, right? We want to be welcomed. We want to be included. We want to be seen. And if you think about like we're talking about luxury, but I, I've been thinking about like what are the things that are not luxury because I, I also want to get to like how do salespeople in general, no matter what you're selling, what, especially in the B2B space, how can salespeople kind of adopt this mindset because it's going to go so far. But if I start thinking about other things, like let's say grocery stores, um, you're familiar with, you guys have Publix down in Miami, right? Yeah. Like, so Publix, right? Publix is another great example and if you look at the history of Publix, right, and everything that they have done, like that founder wanted to make sure that the grocery store experience was the best possible grocery ex store experience it could be. And they actually invest in the training of their people. And kind of what you're saying, like you walk into Publix and they're going to greet you. They're going to I remember my first time in a Publix in Florida where I was walking around and someone saw me and he's like, can I help you? Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, someone just asked if I needed help. We've come to expect service to not be great anymore, right? And so the tiniest amount of observation and acknowledging you goes so far. And we don't even think about that. Companies don't think about that necessarily, but hey, can I help you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm looking for whatever I was looking for. And he's like, oh, that would be an aisle six, halfway down the aisle, in the middle, on the bottom shelf, right? I was floored. I'm like, wow, that's pretty amazing. That sounds like Publix, actually. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, right. And, and walked me there. And then, and is there anything else you need help with? And then you go, you check out, and they offer to take it to your car, right? These are little tiny things. And then you go to Walmart. I do, the, do that. I go to Walmart for certain things and they don't even look at you. They're on their phone having a personal call. They can't make eye contact. And you're like, why did I come here? They're very basic, right? So that, that, that proves my point that it's that the principles are the, the, are the exact same when you're talking about the experiences. The pr principles of a retail or grocery store and a regular 
low price retail store. And when you're looking at luxury, yes, you are. You're going to kick it up a notch. You're going to have more employees available. You're going to have more of a one-on-one experience. You can have somebody with you for longer. All of those things should be true. But ultimately, the, the experience, the basics of the experience need to be the same. I, I speak at a lot of events about customer experience. And one thing that I always say, because I come from my, my background is I started my career in hospitality. And it's been a long time at Disney, Starwood, and, and, and there's always this. I, and you know, when I made the transition, a lot of people are like, oh, this is very different than hospitality. I beg to disagree. After so long, so much time I've spent in the industry, it's more similar than people realize. Because when, unless you're selling commodities, and I say this every time in my keynote, unless you're selling commodities, you are selling an experience. You are selling beyond what's right in front of you. So when you're talking about luxury, you multiply that times 100 because I'm not selling you. I'm not selling two pieces of letters stitched together to carry your things. You, if you're just looking for two pieces of letters stitched together to carry your things, you can get something cheaper. You can get something that is maybe will do the job even better and, and, and will be more versatile. And this is this, what I'm selling is that belonging is the dream is it's what am I part of? What what do I represent? And that's the other piece when I'm carrying something. What do I represent? What do I when you go to a great grocery store, right? You go to a Whole Foods, you go to groceries. What am I what am I saying there? I'm also representing myself in a way I'm feeding my family I, I'm thoughtful about these organic items or I'm thoughtful about the, the sources or where things come from. And so there is a lot of different uh, in which you look at, but ultimately you're always selling the experience beyond what that act of just selecting yeah. it and paying for it and walking out of the store with it. So the luxury brands that do well, they really understand that. And the brands in general that do well understand that because that public's experience stays with you and you will go to Publix even if it costs you, what, twice as much, three times as much to yeah. go shop there. Yeah. And you can do it, obviously, but that's the, the, the point of the experience is that it will, there is a price we're all willing to pay to feel that way, regardless of your the tier yeah. of your income. Exactly. And I talk about this a lot in sales training and selling the value and selling like people are going to pay more for things. I think about our house when we bought it and going through the mortgage process and having a mortgage person associated to the home builder who just kind of brushed us off. Like we weren't important to them because I'm in sales and they're looking at my commissionable sales is not good enough for them. And so they're dragging their feet to approve us. And then we went with another mortgage company that like turned it all around in 24 hours and made us feel special and said, don't worry about it. We got this. And right. And then we went through that. And one month before we closed on the house, that other mortgage company called and said, hey, I know you didn't go with us. Can you share with me what rate you got so we can possibly give you another uh, a better rate? And I'm like, are you kidding me? No. They're like, but what did you get? I'm like, none of your business. They're like, but we might be able to do better for you. I'm like, no, you you needed to do better for me then, not now. Well, can you tell us why we're, why you went with the other company? And I said, yes, because they made me feel special. And that's literally what I said. And she didn't know what to say. And I wanted to say, but didn't. My inside voice was, I'll pay another percentage. I'll go up a point for a higher mortgage to not work with you. And that's, that's a great, fantastic example of, like, uh, of this happening everywhere. And, and there's this, again, misunderstanding. And that's one of the things, by the way, when we're talking about 
having the right people working in, in, in each of these, and we're talking about luxury specifically, is one of the pieces of the training which you're familiar with is getting the sales the salesperson kind of past that thought of that the price is what matter. Because when you're one of the, the key, and this again is, I'm talking about luxury, but it applies everywhere. Yeah. The key is how do you establish value? And service is one of those pieces. How do you establish the value of your product, the value of the experience, the value, even the post-sale service? Knowing that you got me, knowing that you will take care of me if something happens to my product. All of those things will play a role in the selection you make. And by the time you get to, this is part of L&D and working for so long with salespeople, by the time you get to the price, if you establish value, anything you say sounds like a deal. Yeah, like you don't think about it, right? Like I'm working with a publisher and coach right now and there's money attached to it. And, but I heard such amazing things about her that I never even thought about what it was going to cost to work with her. And then when she told me, I was like, oh, okay. It's like, right. It was like such a high ticket item of what was going to be involved. And then I was like, yeah, okay. Like it was a crazy thought process. I'm like, I do need to run it by my husband first just to avoid divorce. Right. And then that was fine. But again, if you feel so safe in it and you see the value you find I'm a big believer in people find the money for the things that they need and they want. They always find the money. Like if you're on the road and you get a flat tire, you're going to find the money for the tires that you didn't think you were you budgeted for, right? You're going to find the money. So how do we take this concept of creating experience based on behavior from for let's first start with just the, the salesperson in general who is maybe in a, a B2C selling space and they're so worried about, oh gosh, they're going to reject the pricing and they're not thinking about the value. How, what's, what would be your advice for the average salesperson to be able to sell experience over price? The first thing I would say to that is, is and, and, and I'll go, go back a little bit and, and my belief that every sale, regardless of their belief in it and, and whether this works or not, if you have a baseline uh, selling ceremony, if you have a baseline step-by-step service and how you're thinking about how you're speaking with a customer that you say, okay, for every customer that I talk to, I'm going to make sure I do these couple of things and I'm going to make them feel welcome. And there's, it's going to change from business to business, but there are a couple of things that are going to be the same. The main piece for me there is to be, it, as a salesperson, I'll say my advice is to become comfortable with the product, with what you're selling. There's that this sort of conventional wisdom that you've got to love what you sell. Not necessarily you got to love what you're selling. I think you've got to believe in what you're selling, the value of what you're selling. And it's incredibly important that when you're talking to someone about why this bag costs $3,000 and the reasons and the value, they, how it's hand-stitched, how it's handmade by people that have been artisans for generations and the design and the coloring and the type of dye they use on it. When you're talking about all those things, you need to believe in it yourself. I think that that's all oh, you got to love it. I think it's a slightly different statement. You have to believe in what you're saying. So I, I my advice is find the product that you believe in. Find the the brand and the the product and what that will represent you as well. Because then that work's going to be a lot easier. Can you do it if you don't? You probably can. You're not going to be very convincing. You're not going to be very excited. And that's going to reflect on that 
welcome on that credibility because you're establishing as the other piece. As a salesperson, you're establishing credibility. You're establishing what you're talking about. The other thing I would say, it's a big piece of advice for me, and I know this is that sometimes the L&D folks go get their eyes this big when I say this, but it's not about product knowledge. Don't lose yourself trying to learn every detail, every technical thing. Most customers do not care. I have work again with from jewelry to, to, to sales for homes and cars and things like that. And people tend to think that the technical knowledge is what matters. Oh, they're going to want to know the clarity of the diamond. 90% of the time, there I say 99% of the time, I just care how it looks in my hand. Or I just care how it looks in my ears. If I feel awesome in it, same thing as a car. Yes, you can tell me about the miles per gallon. You can tell me about the warranties. You can tell me about these wonderful things. But once I sit on that, if I feel cool, that's what matters. So understanding that you have to have enough product knowledge, but not inundate and not and also not get paralyzed by it, because this is another thing I hear quite a bit. Is Oh, I don't know enough about this to sell it. I would challenge anyone that says, again, if you like it, if you're into people, if you're into the type of product you're selling, I would challenge you that your first day at the job, you could do a fantastic work with the, the first customer that walks in. I love that because it's it comes down to making them feel good. Understanding enough where you're not getting paralyzed by, I don't have, and I run into this a lot with salespeople that I train and coach that they're like, oh, I'm just really struggling with product knowledge and that's slowing me down. And I'm like, I, I work in so many industry verticals. I'm like, I don't know half of, right? Like I openly say that I don't know all the details of every industry. It doesn't take away from the fact that I know how to sell and what people are buying from me is understanding how to sell. And so at the end of the day, I'm going to make them feel good and competent in helping them get there. But I don't have to know every single piece of their industry in order to have the same impact on them. And one of the things you said now, it made me think about something else I speak about a lot, which is the uh, crucial for that experience, crucial for establishing value. Your value as the salesperson is being in the driver's seat, listening first, which is really important, which is why I always emphasize a lot the, the what questions are you asking? Are they moving you further into that conversation? Or are you just asking questions that are not really doing much? Are you asking somebody where they're from? What are you going to do with that information? Is it important to that conversation? Is it important? Oh, I'm just making conversation. Well, let's make conversation for you to have enough information to give them some value, to add your value to this. How can you be on the driver's seat? How can it be the majority of experiences out there? If it's a decent experience, I won't call it good, but if it's a decent customer experience when you go somewhere, it looks like something like this, that you walk in, they say hello, they welcome you, they ask you my least favorite question, which is, can I help you with anything? <laughs> They'll get me started that. We have a whole episode about, can I help you with anything? But they ask you, can I help you with anything? Maybe you say yes, maybe you say no. And then if you say yes, you say, well, I was looking for this, this jacket and black and this size and this and that. And then they go and they search for it and they get it for you. you try it on, you purchase it and you walk out. What's wrong with this picture? It, It's okay, it's fine, but this is not an experience and you were, they were in the driver's seat. In my mind, this looks like something that's a little bit, and again, small tweaks to this, right? Where I'm coming in, 
I'm watching which direction you go and I ask you a better question and there are many better questions and can I help you with anything? I will make a, maybe I'll pay you a compliment. Maybe I'll make a comment on the, in the area that you're looking at. Cause you're, there are two things that before I say hello to you, I'm, uh, I can see where you wear and I can see where you're at and what you're looking at. So that gives me enough information for me to, to have a better sentence than can I help you on anything? And then after that, when I ask you for that jacket in black and that size, maybe I bring you two or three jackets. Maybe I bring you the sunglasses that go with the jacket. And maybe I tell you that looking at what I'm wearing and seeing that I'm very elegant in this type of cut, you just took the liberty of going with a different brand that has a completely different cut for me to just try it out and see how that looks like. And that takes you an additional what? Two minutes, we're talking here, maybe three, maybe five. We have to look for a couple of items. So that's, and it's not, it doesn't cost any more than, than it did before. And then, and then to stop it all off, you have a, the, you know, decrease in traffic year after year, specifically in brick and mortar stores. So they're the last people in front of you. Take the opportunity of that moment. Take opportunity, take the opportunity to have that time with someone. I, that actually, that story made me think about my days in retail in high school and college working in, and I remember working in, do you remember Paul Harris stores? Yes. Okay. So I work, I was, I worked in a Paul Harris store when I was in high school. And so I'd gone from the gap to a Paul Harris. So it was definitely a step up. And what was cool is like what I learned about like trusting people and kind of like we were talking about, like sort of like styling them and saying, hey, this would look really good with that and creating that kind of experience, right? Like now someone is like paying attention to you and saying, oh, you look good in that. And that's that whole feel good thing that they would then walk out buying more than they needed because you made them feel good. Right. Like, so, and it's so easy and it's so simple. You're saying exactly, it's again, it's the, the worst kept secret, really, because it's not a, when I talk about, I'm not, when, when, again, when I do my keynotes or when I'm doing a, 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 a consultation, if nothing is, I'm consulting for anyone, nothing that I say is groundbreaking rocket science you never heard of. Right. What's groundbreaking in some ways is how you actually bring that to life every day. How do you actually make that happen regardless of belief, regardless of commitment? How do you ensure that's something that's happening? But to your point, it's like it's something that's very simple. It does require, there's another thing that I say, sometimes it's a bit controversial, but it shouldn't be. And I know it's really hard right now because it's hard to hire, but you have to hire people who want to be there. You have to hire happy people who like customers. And I joke that people who like to talk to other people, people who like customers. I think that there is a, you're not going to, if that's the behavior you're going to have to correct, it's going to be a long road. Well, I'm happy you brought that up. So I'm going to play devil's advocate with you. I agree with you. And you're going to have the people out there who are like, Tatiana, you don't understand. There are no happy people out there. Nobody wants to work. So what's the magic unicorn answer for that, for those naysayers? The magic unicorn answer is create an environment which people want to be a part of, just the same as we're talking about the customer, right? What's your environment? What does it look like? And I'm not just talking about pay and benefits and those things that go on paper. What is your environment? How? Do, how and again, I am not, I've been in the business for a long time. Things are not that simple. It's harder. You have to, there are 
times as much as I advocate for not settling, you have to, sometimes you just have to get someone in. So you're, you you can free up some of your people that have that ability to connect with customers. Because if you're trying to service five customers at a time, I can't tell you you need to connect with anybody because you're not going to be able to. So I need to give you, there's also, I, I think that there's also a, that other piece that's incredibly important for all of the business owners that are listening. You have to have a minimum standard of labor to allow for your people to offer service. It is non-negotiable. You will not get in. There's no training. There's no pay. There's no incentive in the world that will make that happen. If you do not have the right efficient, obviously, I'm all about that. And, and that's again, that's been my, that has been what I do for a couple of decades now. You have to be smart. You have to be efficient. You have to be doing the right things. But with, at the right standards, but you have to have a, a, a minimal amount of labor, a minimal amount of people that are dedicated to this work that so they can do it. Just like with anything else in life, if you do not have the setup so you can do the other things, so you can be with that customer, so you can be looking in their eyes without looking at three other things at the same time because you have no choice, that is is crucial, non-negotiable. I, and I think those two things go hand in hand that you just talked about because I'm with you on you've got to customer experience has to start internally before you take care of the customers. If you can't take care of your people and create an environment and a culture that people are good to each other and they feel safe and they feel heard and they feel like they belong in all of those things, they can't possibly do that for the customer. And then if you provide that culture and the environment, then you are actually going to have enough labor to get the job done because people will then flock to you to work with, for you. I, I think I told you this before. Well, we talked a couple of weeks ago, my experience, and I too come from a hotel background. We've got a lot of parallels. And I told you about being at a five diamond property where people like the employee, there were so many employees tripping over themselves to cater to the guests. Like there were so many people like when you walked in ready to like take your bags somewhere. And I'm like, how do they have so many employees? Like I travel a lot. I'm lucky if they'll clean my room anymore. And like there's five people ready to take my bags. And they did deliver an amenity to my room just because like when I'm like, where's who'd this come from? They're like the hotel. Right. And it was like the most amazing amenity. And like but every part of the experience at that property was so incredible. And I'm like, all right, how are they able to have so many employees to do this work where other properties don't? And I'm like, it's got to just come back to they must be treated really well and want to work there. Yes, you have. And absolutely. Uh, that I, I agree 100 percent. When you told me that story, I, I share mine, too. Of it. But there are others. There are other things that come into play with this as well, which is the, the, this piece on you can do this even without having necessarily being able to say because this is something I hear often. Right. Oh, it's luxury. They're charging that much or is a luxury five diamond hotel. So it's because they're charging that much, they're able to do it. And I'll disagree every time because, yes, there are things that only come with that kind of margin, right? Or when you're looking at that as it. But when if, if you're optimizing, and again, that's been my wheelhouse to enable customer experience with operational excellence. When you're looking, even at the baseline level, if I have, I, I don't know if I told you the story, but I used to go to Paris a lot and I used to stay at this one hotel where 
wasn't wasn't the easiest place to go into. It wasn't it, it wasn't the closest place. But every time I w- walked in, they welcomed me. My, they knew my name, which I know that person. They didn't remember me from two months ago. They had it in their briefing, right? So they have it that I'm arriving. They have the and they have the information there of the type of sparkling water that I like. Again, they have free water in the room. Cost them nothing to put the one I like. It cost them nothing to ask me about uh, whether I would like a reservation at the same restaurant that they made a reservation last time. It doesn't require really any additional labor. It doesn't require any investment. It doesn't require even additional people, if you will. Now, obviously, that person needs to have, it should not be, if they're talking to, which happens a lot also, if they're talking to three people at the same time, things are a bit complicated, right? If they're doing there, there's a level in which you hinder that the, their ability to offer minimum service, but that standard of minimum customer experience that someone will be wowed by and come back to the hotel, which I did every single time I went, anytime yeah. I could go to. And, I, and by the way, and I knew what I might like, I knew that that person didn't remember me from two months ago, but just the fact that I will walk in and they say, welcome, Miss Ferreira, we're so happy you're back. Yeah, that's awesome. That actually made me think about another hotel that that I go to. And it's just, it's a Hampton Inn in a small town. But I, it comes to mind now because it's not anything special. But the staff, it's the same staff always. Like they've been there for years. And every time I come in, they recognize me. They're like, oh my gosh, where have you been? Right? Like, they're so excited to see me. They ask me about things that I shared with them that I don't even remember telling them about. Like, they they took the time to get to know me. And again, it, it's not a luxury kind of situation. It's just they must have the right culture because obviously the employees stay. And then it trickles down to all of their customers. It's yeah. And then and so with all of that, and again, not to say I was on the other side of this and I was in charge of hiring and, and compensation and all of those things in my last couple of rows and, and it hasn't been easy. And I'm not saying things have changed and post pandemic has become more complex. I'm not going to say it has not, but I do believe that the same principles still apply. And some folks out there are doing are doing it right creating that environment, creating, looking at labor the right way, looking at, and looking at the customer the right way, looking at, I would challenge everyone as well, every business owner, every CFO out there to look at at these costs differently. One of the things we really, over over a period of time, and, and there are plenty of companies out there taking advantage of this and selling you these, the software in CX that's going to change your life and the silver bullet that once you buy it, all your dreams will come true. Uh, which is not how that happens, but to really look at and, and the benefit and the, the the gain and the return, the ROI from CX is not a straight line. It never really, it, it's not possible for it to be a straight line because it affects the entire experience. Because you have, and what I mean is not a straight line, it doesn't mean I will do this one thing and then I'm going to get this much in sales so I can attribute all of that to the investment I made. So I would invite them to work with someone who understands CX and operations and and bring that to life, but really look at that investment from a with an open mind and with a different lens that you look at some of these other things because that work is what that that's the only way to exponentially grow your business uh, from where you are to there is no other there's nothing there's no lever that will exponentially grow your business 
like customer experience. Awesome. That's a perfect segue for us to get ready to wrap up and to talk about how people can actually work with you. So this is a two prong kind of question here. I want to talk about how people can work with you and how you can help them. That'll be question two. Question one, because I think this is important. You and I have talked about this before too. How do we take the ROI of that, right? Because, because people don't, companies don't always want to make that investment because as you were talking, my, my gut just goes to this can be really simple. Just train your people to be nice, to say hello, to recognize people, right? These are some common things that even if you couldn't afford someone to come in and work with you and do that, right? Do it yourself then. But how do you help people see the ROI? How do you sell that in this kind of what might feel intangible? How do you sell the ROI to CX? That's a great question. And then that I've been working with my entire career, because that's been in the was having in charge of CX. That's part of the same thing and with an LND, how they, how they, they create the value. I think it's, it's two prong. One, it's for you to establish, you need to be very methodical in establishing what you will measure and how that will be affected. So there is a, a you, you have to spend some time figuring out what will actually change if this happens. And then create what will be, and then you're gonna you're gonna have to test it, and that's why I say work work with someone who understands this, because in order to even find the right KPIs, in order to measure the right things, you're gonna need to know what the impact will be, how this will is it a bit like a CX doctor, if you will, like a medical doctor will know if you take certain medicines, certain things need to happen in order for, and there's not gonna be always a straight line that you yeah. do this, that happens, yeah. but you have a few, there's a, there's some decision trees that are happening there. So that's the, it's gonna work the same way. So I would say that establishing what the right KPI would be. A lot of times they will require, because it's not a straight line, a lot of times they will require something that's beyond what you get in your reports what I call the quantitative qualitative, right? How do you get and how do you create, establish a way to measure that? And sometimes it's just your leaders that are on the field or someone that's listening on to, listening into calls or someone or there's software that can help you figure that out in your responses if you're working in, a, in an environment that is an online environment. So figuring out what those KPIs are and what is a, a an improvement that's reasonable, an improvement that makes sense for that. What Where should you see the 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 curve moving towards because there's also uh, uh, a misunderstanding of the some of the, the, none of this will work for years which is not true a lot of it will work immediately but you also need to understand how long it will take to move the needle right and you may not see anything in certain things for three months or four months or six months depending on what it is so understanding so that is setting up those KPIs setting up that timeline is absolutely crucial. You have to do it right in order to be able to measure the right things. In order for me to say, is it customer retention? Am I looking for, I'm not a big fan on NPS, different conversation for a different day, but I'm a big fan of prom promoters and folks. And, and, and what is the customer saying? How Are you engaging with companies that are, there are some companies that do amazing work out there and following you're doing a little bit of that, that shadow mystery shop and they're seeing what your customer is doing. Are they purchasing more? Are you trying to get to a place where you have more items per trip? Are you trying to increase the, the, the item? Per so your actions will need to mirror what you and, and what you're doing with your customers and what you do with your employees will need to mirror your objectives. And those KPIs, will need, you, know, you have to have a, a efficient, effective way in, in which you're measuring them. 
Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. So now let's switch over to how can people work with you and what does that look like? What are some of the ways that you could help companies with their CX or anything else based on your experience? Thank you for that. I am excited to work. As you can tell, this is very passionate about all of this. And I have a experience over in the last two decades in bringing companies to that to to excellence in those areas. So I'm excited to have brought uh, earlier this year, I am doing I have a consulting advisory business. So I'm doing this on my own because the main and the main reason for that is that because I wanted to spread this further, I wanted to be able to work with more companies and with more people bring this to also companies that weren't necessarily be the ones that would, the big companies that would be able to hire the senior vice president or the CIA be in charge of that, but that could bring that knowledge. An array of services in which it can help in from strategic the, the vision development. What is that uh, strategic course for your organization? How do you create sustainable growth? The customer experience enhancement, which is at the core of what I do, it really and beyond that service level interaction, right? Beyond understanding what is going to make your company bring that differential in. So understanding that the what should you focus on? Because one of the mistakes that happen often when you're trying to improve customer experience is the popular spaghetti at the wall, right? Let me just try to get everybody to do all these different things. And they're really simple. And I'm going to just tell them and popular cascading. I'm just going to cascade all this information and just hope for the best. And I joke that if cascading worked, I will never have had a job nor my team. Cascading does not work. You need a lot more than that. How do you get that set up in a way? So I, I, I have had a career transforming interactions into incremental revenues. That's what I'm excited about. And then the, the operational excellence that you heard me talk about and how that stands as the baseline for that customer experience to enhance and to improve. How do you improve that profitability, the performance, the, the everything that serves as the foundation for how you build your operation on top of and how you can actually offer, you can actually have that, that customer experience excellence and improvement. The other piece that I'm really excited about that talks to, that speaks to all of this and it speaks to the experience in a really big way is multi-channel integration, right? How are you looking at aligning the remote, the brick and mortar, the online, and really creating value for your customers. And I have this joke that it's not just putting iPads in your store that work half of the time. We're talking about real value. How do you integrate? Our lives are integrated today. Vast majority of folks out there have, sometimes they have the technology, sometimes they have invested, they have no idea how to make that valuable for the customers. That's where I come in. And then last but not least is on organizational transformation. If you if, if, and, if the, and I laugh because I think every organization is going through transformation right now, but what does it look for, look like for that reorganization, that turnaround, the, the scaling of your business? How do you set it up? Even in a most challenging environment, how do you transition and overcome those obstacles in a way that sets up for success? That's what I do. You can reach me on LinkedIn. I am excited. I'll be excited to, and I'm always excited to just have conversations about CX, actually. I really, truly enjoy an operation. I really, truly enjoy the topic. I, I love the exchange. It's, it's not, this is, as you can tell, this is not just work for me. This is passion and, and life. I, I love it. I'm like, I think we should have like a CX podcast because there's always, there's, I love it too. And I've, there's always stories, right? There's always stories about people who do it well, people who don't do it well. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm going to bring you back and talk. I think we there's many things we could talk about. I do appreciate your time and 
shedding some light and insight based on your experience because it just, I think you're amazing. So thank you so much, Tatiana. No, thank you so much, Dina, for the opportunity. I was, I was laughing because I said we should do the next one should be on best and worst practices. Worst practices is a term that I coined years ago. I'm I'm all for it. I'm all for yeah. it. We'll, we'll leave the names of the involved out of it, but we can really talk about and how you learn so much more from the mistakes, right? And from the bad. This is it, just it, my nature. We learn so much more from seeing something that shouldn't happen again. Yeah. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I love what you, there's, and I told you this, I absolutely love the title of your podcast. It's <laughs> so badass. Thank you. Well, I think, I, I think maybe we might be on to something because I would love to do an ongoing series of practices. I'm in. Okay, cool. Awesome. Thank you again to Tatiana. Thank you to our listeners of The Women Your Mother Warned You About brought to you by Sales Gravy. And to learn more about Tatiana, just check out our show notes. The link to her LinkedIn will be there. You can also find her on. Uh, so just look her up, look up her name if you don't click on the link to do that. And for more information about this show, go to womenyourmotherwarnsyouabout.com. You will find everything there as well as salesgravy.university. And of course, you can watch this on YouTube. So we will see you next time.